landed the sort of 1.5 degree Paris moment that everyone was after, which is agreement from 196 signatories um, and delegations to halt and reverse the decline of nature by 2030. That's Rachel Lowry being interviewed just this morning on the ABC's Radio National program. Rachel is from the World Wildlife Fund for Nature. She is the Chief Conservation Officer and represented the organisation at COP15 in Montreal. This is the latest episode of Climate Conversations and I'm your host, Robert McLean. Climate Conversations is assembled here in Shepparton in Northern Victoria, Australia on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. First, we hear a little more from Rachel, and you'll find a link to the entire interview in the show notes. An historic deal has been reached at the UN's Biodiversity Conference in Montreal. It's been called one of the most significant moves to protect the world's lands and oceans and provide critical financing to save ecosystems in the developing world. The agreement comes after more than four years of negotiations and repeated delays due to the pandemic. Nearly 200 countries, but not the US or the Vatican, signed the pledge at COP15. Rachel Lowry is the World Wildlife Fund for Nature's Chief Conservation Officer and is part of the organisation's international team at the talks. Welcome to Breakfast. Rachel, what are the major points of this agreement? Well, one of the most exciting things to come out of this agreement is that we've landed the sort of 1.5 degree Paris moment that everyone was after, which is agreement from 196 signatories um, and delegations to halt and reverse the decline of nature by 2030. That's a really big deal. (laughs) And it was hard fought and hard won, but that's um, a really key, key piece because it mobilises the world behind a vision and it starts to move us more into a nature-positive way of thinking and operating. Now, let's get into the detail. In a statement overnight, Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek says, we didn't get everything we wanted. So overarching vision, yes, but what's missing from this deal? Oh, look, it's certainly not a perfect deal. Um, I know that uh, Australia, and I'm in Montreal right now, and I've worked closely with the government over the past 12 days. um, And first of all, I want to say Australians can feel really proud because Australia was on the right side of history last night. You know, while some countries were forcing and, and, and pushing to erode the ambition, Australia was really, really pushing hard right up until the 11th hour to try to raise the ambition across a number of targets. And one of those targets was around species extinctions. So Australia was a strong voice to say, we can't accept any more um, extinctions of known species that, is, that we know humans are driving. Um, and so they were pushing for the target to be as of right now, from now, from today, let's do what we can to protect all species. Um, They didn't quite manage to land that. Some were pushing for by 2050, which means we'd be accepting, you know, walking and marching species over the extinction line for another 28 years, which is just not acceptable. And Australia really made that clear, but the compromise position was by 2030. Um, But fortunately, we've got the domestic position back at home, which landed just a few months ago. And it was just really nice seeing Australia on that global stage leading and calling for more ambition. It was a nice moment. Has everyone been as on board in, with the spirit of the talks, however, or have there been some attempts to actively erode the ambition of the final agreement? 
Look, I think when you're going to have 196 signatories representing over 160 countries all sitting at one table, you're never, ever going to get the same level of ambition and agreement right across the board. So, um, absolutely, there were differences of opinions. Absolutely, some people came really trying to make this a big, giant leap. I'm going to say what we got was a step forward. Um And I don't want to call out any particular nations, but I will say there was a very clear divide, and particularly for some days there was almost a stalemate um, across the negotiations between developing countries and developed nations, largely around what we call resource mobilisation. A lot of countries were saying, and I, I will say Democratic Republic of Congo, for example, were a really strong voice for this, and I have a lot of empathy for this voice. Um, You're asking us to be more ambitious. But we know we don't have the capacity and the means to meet this ambition. We don't want an empty deal. So donor countries, developed nations, put your money on the table. Um, show us that you're ambitious when it comes to helping build our capacity and we'll give you more ambition on the page. That's sort of, uh, you know, some of the negotiations and the spirit of the negotiation that unfolded and why we got to day 12 in these negotiations with 23 targets and none having had landed at day 12. And from The Guardian, we hear COP15, historic deal struck to halt biodiversity loss by 2030. The story says, governments appear to have signed a once-in-a-decade deal to halt the destruction of Earth's ecosystems. But the agreement seems to have been forced through by the Chinese president, ignoring the objections of some African states. After four years of negotiations, repeated delays due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and talks into the night on Sunday in Montreal. Nearly 200 countries, but not the US or the Vatican, signed an agreement at the Biodiversity COP15, which was co-hosted by Canada and China, to put humanity on a path to living in harmony with nature by the middle of the century. Inga Anderson, the UN Undersecretary General and UN EP Executive Director, said, Nature and biodiversity is dying the death of a billion cuts, and humanity is paying the price for betraying its closest friend. In the words of the UN Secretary-General, we're committing suicide by proxy. A story from the UN Environment Program, UN Biodiversity Conference, COP15, tells the story, explains what it's about. And while the federal government has been in Montreal discussing ways to protect our biodiversity, We read on The Guardian, Calls for tougher regulations as Queensland records highest rate of land clearing in country. Queensland, the story says, continues to record the highest rate of land clearing in the country, with more than 400,000 hectares destroyed in 2019-20, according to new government data. The Queensland government's annual statewide land cover and tree study shows 418,656 hectares was cleared, a 38% decline from the 680,688 hectares the previous year, but still the equivalent of about 567 Melbourne cricket grounds a day. WWF Australia said continued clearing in the Great Barrier Reef catchments 182,904 hectares was concerning because of its potential to worsen erosion and increase the amount of sediment flowing onto coral and seagrass. Back at the Guardian, the Environment Editor, Damien Carrington, writes, 
Climate goal of 1.5 degrees Celsius is gasping for breath, says UN head. The goal of limiting global heating to 1.5 degrees Celsius is gasping for breath, the UN Secretary-General has said as he announced a climate ambition summit for September. Antonio Guterres said the summit would challenge leaders of governments and businesses to come up with a new, tangible and credible climate action to accelerate the pace of change and confront the existential threat of the climate crisis. We are still moving in the wrong direction, he said on Monday. The 1.5 degrees Celsius goal is gasping for breath. National climate plans are falling woefully short. And yet we are not retreating, we are fighting back. We are still with The Guardian. And the story is headed, Victoria's Gippsland Coast to become Australia's first offshore wind farm zone. Australia's first offshore wind farm zone has been labelled a game-changer by environmental advocates and is expected to drive further investment in the renewables industry. Gippsland's coast in South Victoria will be home to the turbines, with the heavy winds of Bass Strait offering plenty of wind weather to power Australian homes. The zoned area covers about 15,000 square kilometres running from Lake's entrance in the east to the south of Wilson's Promontory in the west. The projects are expected to support more than 3,000 jobs over the next 15 years in development and construction phases and an extra 3,000 ongoing operation jobs. And finally we hear from the ABC News, the battle for the Otway Rangers. 20 years ago, a long and bitter campaign to end native forest logging came to an end in Victoria's West. Against all odds, a motley group of conservationists took on power and industry and won. In the summer of 2000, as the small Victorian coastal town of Apollo Bay was hosting its annual music festival, the lights flickered off and everything went dark. But this was no ordinary power blackout. The power poles ferrying electricity to the town had been felled with a chainsaw and graffiti declaring Oren War was scrawled across the fallen poles. Oren was the acronym for the Otway Rangers Environment Network. In the four years preceding the blackout, Oren had led a dogged campaign to end native forest logging in the Victorian Otway Rangers. You'll find links to all those stories in the show notes. We reach the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with your friends. And as I said before, please take care.